Look with me in your copy of the Word of God in Genesis chapter 27. And would you rest your eyes with me at, on verse 43. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away until your father's anger turns away from you and, and he forget what, he had, what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord amongst the sisters and the brothers that belong to you. Your house is a place of refuge and strength. And Father, we feel your presence in this place. And we are ever grateful to acknowledge that you inhabit the praises of the saints. And so, God, we have invited you here. And we praise you for accepting our invitation. And we bless you, O oh God, that each one of us individually has the privilege of communing with you. O oh Father, our, our feet will follow when our hearts are surrendered. Father, I pray today that this would be our act of obedience for we ask this in Jesus name amen amen praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord good to see Christian out in the house tonight today amen praise the Lord praise the Lord praise God praise the Lord and today we will continue uh, the series of messages I started on last week unqualified unqualified and what brings or comes to mind when I think about that is the person who was the most qualified uh, was deemed by the world the least qualified. He came unto his own and his own knew him not. He came into the world, but the world received him not. Jesus was in the category in the minds of the world as one who was unqualified. And so today we will be looking at a passage of scripture in the book of Genesis that is very familiar to some, but the Lord uh, placed it on my heart to revisit uh, this section in the Word of God. After a routine physical examination, his doctor informed him that he had discovered a condition that needed a surgical procedure. Uh, after consulting his wife, they both agreed that the surgery was necessary to correct the medical problem, and since the procedure was viewed as minor, a full recovery was anticipated. Once all the plans for surgery and rehab was final, the couple started preparing for the big day. 
They follow all of the doctor's instructions. On the day of the surgical procedure, he kissed his wife. And by the way, if you see red on my lips, my wife kissed me. I'm irresistible. <laughs> he said to his wife, I'll see you soon. Unfortunately, there were complications. He never woke up. He died as a result of the surgical procedure due to unforeseen complications. How many of you know there's never anything such as minor surgery? And so when Sister Jocelyn reminded us or made us aware that Sister Sharon's grandson is going to be having brain surgery, we absolutely want to remember to lift him up in prayer on this coming Tuesday. 20 years later, I received a call to make a visit to this man's wife's house. I learned that this woman had not left her home since her husband surgery 20 years earlier. Her husband's death, and let me also add, she refused to see a doctor during that 20-year period because she had lost confidence in medical professionals. She secluded and isolated herself from everyone except her family, and the only way that they could see this woman who had become agoraphobic was to come to her home. This woman lived in terror on a daily basis because of one bad experience. Now she is terminally ill because she ignored symptoms that could have easily been addressed by a simple in the doctor's office examination. If she had simply been examined, her condition could have been addressed and she would have had her issue corrected, but now she's in a situation where she has been admitted to hospice with six months or less to live. What she avoided, if she had addressed, would and could have saved her life. As we continue our series today on unqualified, I want, you, I want to address the fact that some of us will never become all that God wants us to be because there are things that we will not address. There are things that we, will, we continue to avoid, things that we are failing to take care of. And when you ignore the things that God has clearly assigned you to address, even when they are unpleasant, you are risking the forfeiture, the forfeiture of your future. There are things that are in your path. You can keep sidestepping them, trying to go under them, over them, but they're not moving. They're not moving. And they, they, they act as those things that are obstacles to what God has called you to do. Problems don't just go away. They travel well. Problems travel well. Wherever you go, you take them with you. You can change churches. 
And whatever problem you had at your previous church, you just brought it here. You just brought it here. You can change jobs and those people don't like me and I can't understand. Why are they always writing me up? Why don't they leave me alone? Isn't it kind of interesting that the last job you had You can change friends. Just unfriend people on your Facebook page. <laughs> I'm amazed at how people can just start their entire life as if nothing had ever occurred, but within months, the same problems that they thought they avoided by changing friends crop up again. You can even change who you're married to. Man, he was a miserable dude. If I can just get out of his marriage, and now you're into your third, your fourth marriage, and he, he's still a miserable dude, but the only thing that has not changed is you. You took the fleas and the ticks in your new relationship. That's what you did. If you don't deal with your Esau's, your issues, your problems, your difficulties, those obstacles in your life, you will meet the same challenges in a different place at a different time. The stuff that I'm still dealing with today is stuff that I never dealt with. Deal with Esau. Listen to the word of God that he directs Jacob, after 20 years, he says in, in Genesis chapter 31, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to the land of your families, and I will be with you. Deal with Esau. He ran from the land of his families because he was fleeing from his issue. And the Lord said, Go back. You must deal with those things that have wounded you, that continue to be ghosts in the closet, that continue to torment you, that continue to bind you and to be strongholds in your life, you must deal with those things that have now become generational curses on your family. Esau must be dealt with if you're going to become everything that God wants you to be. God said to me as I was preparing this message, never ask permission. He told me this years ago. Whenever God tells you to do something, don't ask permission. If you know God told you to do it, you do it. Because when we fail to do it, then we are disobeying God. In Genesis chapter 7, we meet two brothers, Jacob and Esau, that had the same biological parents, raised in the same house, read probably if there had been a Bible, they would have read from the same Bible, sung from the same hymn. Maybe they were ushers in the church or members of the praise and worship. I don't know about that because all we got is women. We love the ladies. I'm waiting for some brothers to break out. Amen. Now, when the ladies go on their retreat, uh, Minister Heyman's going to be leading us in praise and worship. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Somebody talked about a male's chorus and all of that. I don't know about that kind of seriousness. 
But uh, I'm sure there are a couple brothers in here who can sing. <clears throat> not you, Minister Will, but others. Uh, I'm not calling any names, but we love you. We love you. They were twins who are more known for their differences than their similarities. Esau and Jacob were sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, before we talk about what their beef was, beef, see, you heard me say that? What their problem, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that pretty hip? Yeah, all right. Before we discover what their beef was, I want to talk about why we avoid conflict. Why do we avoid dealing with conflict? I'm glad you asked. Now, the first reason, it starts with family training. Family training is where it starts. Esau and Jacob were never taught how to deal with personal conflict. We, it's funny, we know how to start stuff. We know how to start stuff, picket people, say the right things at the wrong time, be insensitive, harsh. But, and we also are very good at being offended. We are excellent at being offended. We, we know how to hold a grudge. We know how to remember what you did. But we don't have skills to work things out. And one of the things that always troubled me when I worked in the school system, they quick to give a kid a pink slip. But they never bring the people that had the conflict back into the same room to ask them, how could you have handled this differently? We don't teach children conflict what resolution. We're too busy trying to get them out of trouble and making excuses for them. Listen to what the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 23. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. How many of you prayed for children? Uh, before you had them. Amen. Some of you did. Amen. Well, at least one hand went up. <laughs> and notice the way I asked the question. You prayed for them before you had them. <laughs> so maybe that's why they, there was a little trick question. Um, and the Lord, the Lord granted his plea. God answered his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, she conceived. But the children struggled together within her. They were fighting before they even came out of the womb. We're naughty by nature. <laughs> and she said, is it? Well, why am I like this? Why am I having this tumultuous, uh, the Bible talks about travailing. Why am I feeling like I'm going into labor and it's not time? Is, is, is this pregnancy going well? So she went and inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The Lord said before Esau and Jacob were born, he informed 
Rebecca, these boys are going to be in conflict. I, am call, I have a unique call on your son's lives. The younger will be the leader, which is the reverse order from how God normally operates. Rebecca and Isaac knew that. But there's not a single scripture that informs us that they ever instructed their children, their sons, about what God had already told them. The reason you're going to have these conflicts, the reason why you guys are going to be at each other's throats is because God has a unique calling. They could have, and the Bible tells us to train up our children in the way that they should go. And so they were never taught what God had already told the parents. We are not teaching our children what we already, if we, nobody told us, we experienced it in our own families, that we didn't work through stuff. We just stayed mad. We broke things. We cussed people out. We don't call them anymore. We don't claim them anymore. These are your, your siblings. Believe it or not, they're people who are in that situation where family members don't even talk. Where did that come from? It started at home. Rebecca and Isaac never taught their sons what God had already told them. We never learn how to deal with conflict. We don't know how to deal with anger in a godly way. The Bible says be angry but sin not. It's okay for our children to be angry. We grew up and you even acted like you didn't like what was being said. You got slapped in the head. You, what you sassing me? What you done hit me in the head, beat me with a belt, pulled my ear, twisted my nose, and I'm supposed to smile about it? You weren't even allowed to cry. You're going upstairs all, I mean, you, they done broke you up. And you crying. You better shut up until you try, <laughs> you're trying to hold it in. And you hurting. And we didn't get beat with a strap. We got beat, I got whipped with an extension cord. That's right. And on a special occasion, I had to take my cloth, my pants off. Special occasion. That's when my parents wanted to show me how much they really loved me. And so we raised children who are taught the only children should be seen and never heard. I believe that, it, that this, the scripture that says be angry and sin not, it doesn't only apply to adults. Children get angry too. That's fine. It's just the, the manner in which they express it. Well, I never let our children see us argue. Well, then you live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a world of make pretend because the real world people argue and disagree. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian home is that we work through our difficulties, our conflicts, by using the word of God as we yield to the spirit of God. Amen. Parents must teach their sons and their daughters how to be angry and sin not. You need to show them by example. Don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed angry. Your children catch lessons better than they are taught lessons. Teach them by example. Teach them by how to forgive. If you're unforgiving, you're teaching your child how to hold grudges, how to be bitter, how to be malicious, how to be vindictive and hateful. All of those are characteristics that God rejects and are acts of disobedience to him. And so we grow up in families where we never learned 
how to work through things. One of the things that we now, I don't know how successful, uh, I don't have a lot of evidence of success these days, but whenever these, my children would act a fool and they got in a fight with each other, they couldn't even leave the room until they resolved it. And then they had to come and tell me, how did you fix that? And then to work, make matters worse, I said, now hug each other. <laughs> and that always, most instances, ended with a smile. I'm not saying that they do that today, but they were taught. Here, here, here's another thing. So family training is where it starts. Here's another cause for avoiding the Esau's in our life. Fickle people that love conditionally. Sometimey, unpredictable. People play with your emotions. They will mess you up. And they will help, they will cause you, to, you to, to live as if you're walking on eggshells. The Bible says that, that Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, she gave birth to two sons, and they were the parents of the same children, but they, had, they showed favoritism. They had conditional love in their home. That makes children feel like they have to earn your love. That makes them feel obligated to, to do things to please you because when you're pleasing, you're saying by your expressions of conditional love, you're worthy today. But if you don't please me, you're not worthy. You're not significant. So you teach, we teach our children to be people pleasers, to only feel good about themselves when somebody is recognizing them. When somebody of significance is acknowledging them. And that's why our daughters turn to people who will do the embracing that they're not getting in their homes by their father figures. In many instances, the father's not even in the home. It's because they're looking for somebody to say, I am valued. I am worthy. Conditional love puts you on a yo-yo. Conditional love makes you have to perform. Conditional love says, maybe it's enough. Jump a little higher. Run a little faster. Turn a few more times, and then I'll let you know how I feel about it. And if I don't like it, then if I'm depressed or angry, then you have to be depressed and angry. Fickle conditional love by significant people in your life will mess you up. Or have you feeling like you got to please people? My mother used to say, you believe anything anybody say to you, wouldn't you? The reason she would say that, I go in, I dress like 10 different times. I said, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? She said, why does it matter what I think? And she said, that's fine. And then I, that's what I would wear. Now my wife, no, no. <laughs> but my, my point is this. We all have a need for unconditional love. But unfortunately, not enough of us received it. Love was meted out based on performance. Isaac loved Jacob because he was a hunter. <laughs> he was an outdoorsman. He was a sportsman. He liked the Eagles. He rooted against the Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. That's my boy. But Rebecca loved 
Jacob because he was domesticated. He was a mama's boy. He probably was good at education. He was probably good at technology. He probably got all of it, passed all of his spelling fees and so forth. And so she loved him. And that's where all of her predominant attention went. But she neglected Esau. She treated him like he was not even her own son. So we grow up in homes that we were raised to be schizophrenic. You got two parents, but one loves one son more than the other. And sometimes it's the color of your skin, the texture of your hair. Sometimes you remind them of the man who left them. And so you catching it for that? We don't deal with Esau because of fickle, conditional love. Because you don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead. So let me go to another reason why why this is a problem for us. Failure to count the cost. We don't deal with Esau, the problems, the stuff that we should address, that pain. You, you, sometimes what happens because of the work I do, um, somebody will die and I just, I literally fall apart. And I'm like, why am I so, what, what's wrong with me? I have seen so many people die and not, wasn't able to express my feeling that finally when something gets close to me, it's like a, a, a mountain has fallen. Well, that's like suppressed emotional pain. Things that you never dealt with, they are there. That volcano is just simmering. And then when somebody stirs the volcano, all of a sudden you erupt on that husband, on that wife, and they have no idea where did all of this anger come from? Where did all of this uh, uh, force and, 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 and rejection come from? Because now you are showing them based on what has happened to you, and you don't even understand it. You, failure to count the cost. Listen to this. When you just go along to get along, you may be forfeiting your destiny for a bowl of soup. But Jacob said, sell your birthright. Uh, Esau was hungry. He had been hunting, and he came and said, I'm starving. As the oldest son, he was given the, 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 the birthright. He was given the, the gift of the firstborn. He was supposed to be the spiritual patriarch. He was going to give mo more money. He was going to be the one that was in charge of the family when, when, when Isaac died. And so he comes in. He's hungry. He said, and the Bible says, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright to, as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. I'm starving. So what is this birthright to me? What is my destiny? What is my future? What is God's call on my life? What is the vision for this church? What, what does it matter? I'm hungry. Give me a bowl of soup. Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau a bread and stew, bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and he drank it and rose and he went his way. Esau despised his birthright. When you don't deal with stuff that is standing in what the way of what God has called you to do, you're not counting the cost. It, you, you just want to have somebody, right? Okay, go in and have somebody and be miserable for the rest of your life. You, what God has called you to do means that you've got to have some backbone, that you've got to be willing to stand up for what God has called you to accomplish. He despised his birthright by making the e taking the easy way, 
not dealing with it. I'm going, it'll get better. Problems travel well. Say they travel well. Failure to count the cost. Failure to count the cost. If you don't deal with this, I don't know how many times I've had slow leaks in my car. I'm going to get it fixed. I'm going to get it fixed. And then one day you get up and go to work, and guess what? The tire is flat. You don't address it. You're going to end up with a flat life, a life that is stuck in park, a life that never makes it to the place where God has predetermined it should go. Here's another reason. Failure to count the cost, family training, fickle people. And here's the biggest reason, fear of harm to yourself or something you value. We don't deal with stuff because we're afraid of what, what it might cost us. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 6 through 10. He spoke to, Rebecca, to Jacob, her son. She said, I, I indeed have heard your father speak to, to Esau, your brother. And so he said, he's about to die. He's blind. He can't see. And he's going to bless Esau with the, the blessing of the firstborn. And so to prevent that from happening, I want you to join with me and conspire against your, your father who I love, your father who I'm one in the flesh with, your father who's supposed to be the first person in my life next to God. Let's conspire. He said, well, my brother's hairy, and uh, my dad will know him by the sin of his. He said, no, no, we're going to make this work. The dude is blind. He can't see. So we're going to get some hair, we're going to put it on you, we're going to make the venison, the, 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 the veal, the, the way dad likes it, and then we'll be fine. He said, well, if he finds out and, 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 and I'm exposed, she said, let the curse that would be on you be on me. And so what happens is, just as he's finishing his deceitful act with his blind father, Esau's walking in with his venison. And then Esau basically says, as soon as dad dies, I'm taking you out, Jacob. You're going, you're going to be a dead man. And so what Jacob does for fear, he was, now he, his mother says, you need to leave. You need to go to a safe place. And because she was so manipulative and conniving, she knew her husband well enough and her emotional, immature, son who did not treasure his, 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 his calling, she said, in a few days, they'll get over it. They'll get over it. You can come back in a few days. He'll be, I'll feed him, burp him, and he'll, he'll be fine. That ended up being 20 years. 20 years. Sometimes the things that the Lord reveals to you about your spouse or people that are close to you is not intended for you to use to manipulate or to take advantage. It's for you to pray about. It's for you to hold up their arms. It's for you to be that covering. All of us have nakedness. We have things that we're blind to, and God will bring people in our lives to cover the nakedness. But in this case, Rebecca exposed us. And so fear, fear, fear because of what you've done wrong. In this case, uh, Isaac, I mean, Jacob and Rebecca did something wrong. So you have reason to be afraid. If you do something that's wrong, you take advantage of somebody, you tell a lie, and it gets exposed, and you hope that they don't figure it out, you hope you can get the money back in the bank before they realize you took it out of the bank, or, or whatever your little 
whatever you did and it was wrong, you have reason to be afraid. And sometimes when we do wrong, instead of us saying to somebody, you know what, it, it's me. I'm the one, you know, that cake you made and it's not there anymore. <laughs> See, I was planning to, whatever your plan was and it didn't happen and it violated someone else, you ought to confess your sins one to another. People, sometimes people will say they're wrong because they got caught, not because they really feel guilty about what they did. So he was running not because he was necessarily guilty about the wrong he did, and he did wrong. He was running because he was afraid. And so sometimes we run because we did something, and we don't want to suffer the consequences. One of the ways that you know when somebody is genuinely repentant is that they're willing to submit to the consequences fully. Sometimes we don't deal with fear because, with, with, with Esau, because we fear because of something, because of something that someone can do to us. He knew that Esau could kill him. Here's some things that, some pe that people can do, with us, do to us. They can reject us. None of us want to be excluded. None of us want to be looked over. None of us want to be mistreated. None of us want to be devalued. And so we fear rejection. We don't want people laughing at us when we stand up here and we're giving announcements or we're doing whatever. We want people to think we did a good job. So fear rejection. Some people are so afraid of rejection that they would never get up here. I ain't talking about no little children. I'm talking about adults. The fear of some lost benefit. If you say what you really feel, if you acknowledge what really happened, that woman won't speak to you for another week. So rather than experience that loss, you allow it to go past. It didn't go past. You just buried it for another day. And now you're angrier. You're more distant. We fear the loss of some benefit. It could be love, opportunity, promotion. If you don't say, if you say that your boss was uh, uh, verbally abusive or something like that, you could lose your job. We fear humiliation. We don't want nobody, we want to laugh at people, not have people laugh. But we supposed to laugh with people, not at people. But we're okay with laughing at people. <laughs> but we don't want anybody laughing at us. And so we fear, we fear humiliation. We fear failure. The pressure to be perfect, to be right, to be confident at all times. We struggle with that, so we don't want to deal with nothing. Here's another thing we fear. We fear the unknown. What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if I don't ever get married? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I go home and somebody broke in? What if I, what if I? We live in the what ifs. There are a lot of Christians who are like that. And you know what the Bible calls that? That's fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But if you're operating by fear, you will never address those areas in your life that the enemy has used to dominate you and prevent you from becoming everything that God wants you to be. Now, who's Esau? Let me quickly say who Esau is. Esau can be a family member, somebody that you sleep with every night. Could be your wife, could be your husband. And that's why we do everything that we can to avoid conflict with them. Esau can be a friend. David said, if it had been my enemy, these are the people I went to church with. These are the people that I broke bread with. These are the folks that I told all my business. These are the people that I went to think when I was down and out, I figured I could share with the, the, you know, the brothers and sisters at church. He said, but it was my familiar friends. It was them. 
You know, we kill our wounded sometime in the church. Sometimes we're like the elder son. He, the, the, the prodigal son get re, he recovers, but we don't want him to ever forget. You were out there, man. You messed up. You embarrassed our church. You embarrassed the Lord. Why? We ain't celebrating your return, but I see every, every angel in heaven. We need to be more like the angels in heaven. We need to be more like what is going on in the places that we say that we want to go. Esau can be a friend. Esau can be somebody you work with, somebody at the church, somebody who's your neighbor. Esau can even be a medical condition. You go to the doctor and he gives you a prognosis and now you heard it, but you ain't accepting. You don't believe it. You ain't, you ain't I ain't claiming it. I, devil, you a liar. I rebuke that spirit. I put it behind me. I take authority in the name. In the name. In the name. And you're still sick. You still got the headache. You still ain't getting better. But in the name. Devil, you a liar. Okay. The devil didn't allow that. The Lord did. That devil's that, 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 that thing. Esau can be that bill collector, the one to keep calling you. And you see that number on caller ID. It's them again. Now, these bill collectors have gotten smart. They keep changing their numbers. It used to be from California. Next thing is Kansas City. Then it's in Dover. And next thing they call you from a number right in your neighborhood. And you're going to answer your neighborhood, right? Hello, is this Mrs. Uh-huh. If you don't see the name, you ain't answering the phone. Esau is anyone who can directly impact your life. Anyone who can directly impact your life. And what makes him so dangerous is that Esau knows you. Rebecca knew her husband. She knew her son's tendencies. Esau takes what he or she knows and they can use it against you. That's why your husbands and wives say, that's why I don't share nothing with you. As soon as you get a chance, you just take it and just use it against me. You're not supposed to use stuff against people once you, if you've really forgiven them. Esau is anything that can prevent you from fulfilling God's will and calling your life. I've already said that, but that's so important. You need to count the cost. When you're not dealing with stuff and you're trying to suppress it and act like it didn't happen, that is preventing you from trusting the Lord on another level. Here's what God says about us. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are my special people that, have that, that, you that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. God said you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a unique people. You're peculiar. You're mine. That's who we are. But when we don't deal with Esau, you will not walk in royalty. You will not walk in your peculiarity in him. You will not be able to bring glory and honor to him. And that's what this is all about. The devil wants to rob us of what God is trying to do. Esau may be a thorn in your flesh. <laughs> this is what's really interesting. Sometimes the Esau, we deal with it, but he keeps coming back. I'm back. I'll be back. You remember Arthur's warning today? I'll be back. The Esau is a terminator. He keeps coming back. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, the gifts and the things that you've shown me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, given to me, 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. God said, the way I'm going to keep you humble, I'm going to keep Esau's in your life. I'm going to give you a thorn in your flesh. That person that agitates you the most, that person that you just keep trying to avoid, the lad that's your worst nightmare, that's the thorn that God has allowed. The people you ain't, that person you ain't praying for. <laughs> that person you hope get changed to another department. <laughs> that person who was in a car accident and you didn't cry, you kind of, uh, <laughs> maybe the Lord finally did it. Sometimes God will put things in your life so that we will cry out to him, that we will depend upon him, that you will trust in him in ways that otherwise you would not. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. It's in my darkest hour. It's in my time of need. It's when I'm in pain. It's when the tears are rolling down my cheek. That's when I know that God is a present help in the time of my troubles. He's there. He is near to me. Now, how do I deal with Esau? How do I deal with him? The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 31, he said, go to Esau, Jacob, obey the word of God. Obey the word of God. Bible says, if somebody offends you, if you've been hurt by someone, that person may be six feet in the ground, they may have been dead 50 years, but they wounded you by what they said, by what they did, they violated you, they abused you. I don't know exactly what happened, but what they did to you is a dark cloud, and it's been following you into every relationship, every job, every decision that causes you to doubt, that voice is there. You can't. You'll never be. You need to go back to that Esau in obedience to the Lord. And you need to say to that person that's in the ground, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm letting it go because I'm casting all of my cares upon him. I'm giving it to the Lord. He has, he says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I don't have to lose sleep over this anymore. I don't have to cry about this anymore. I don't have to be distrusting. I can be in an open and vulnerable relationship again because I've released what I've been holding on to. I've gone back to Esau. Amen. The devil, you don't have power over me in this area because I've obeyed the Lord. It takes courage to go to people and lovingly try to please God. You're not trying to be right. Don't go if you're trying to be right. I told you if you ever raise. No, 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 no. That's not the Lord. Here's another thing that you do when you go back to Esau. Pray like you never prayed before. This is not new. When God told Jacob to go back to his brother who he had cheated and lied to and robbed him, when, when, when Esau found out he didn't have a blessing, he begged his father. He said, bless me, please. You, you must have a blessing. Please, I'll do anything for a blessing. And Isaac said, it's too late. There's only one blessing for per, per person. Don't let anybody steal your blessing. But when, they, when you think they have, here's what happens. The Lord said, go back. And so here's what Jacob does. 
before he goes back. Look at this. Listen to what the word of God says in verses 9 through 12. We're almost done. Verse 32, it's chapter 32. Says, and Jacob said, oh, Lord, you ain't never hear Jacob pray like this. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. He got the Abraham and the Isaac prayer out. The Lord who said to me, now he's quoting scripture in his prayer, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. He's reminding God of his promise. And, I, and he said, I'm not worthy. This trickster, this supplanter, this compromiser, this flimflam, that's what the name Jacob means. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of all of your mercies. That's when you know you've been broken. Some of us need to be broken. We need to be stripped. See, God is a stripper. He, he's, he will take everything that we are depending on, everything that we're leaning on, all that you're trusting in. God wants to take it away. He wants to be the first and the most important person in our life. And now he's at that place. He's like, well, I'm the least uh, and deserving of your mercies. He said, he said the truth, with what you have shown me, I've crossed over this Jordan myself. So he's praying like he never prayed before. Thank God for trouble. What do you mean? I don't want no trouble. I just want an easy day. I just want everything to go well. I want to get my schedule and get the schedule. No, no, no. Troubles will cause us to pray and to be dependent to see that God can. Here's another thing we need to do. We need to stop fighting God. The Bible says in verses 22 through 26, he wrestled with the Lord all night, all night, holding on. He was striving with God. God done told you to go. God done told you to make it right. God done told you to forgive. God done told you to release. That's struggling with God. That's wrestling with God. You may not be holding the angel's leg. You might be not be fussing with God. But the fact that you haven't obeyed, you're still striving. You're still holding on to the flesh. You're still trying to be in charge of this. And the Bible says when the day was breaking, the angel says, I've got to go. And then finally, finally, after having his hip dislocated, I was just with a brother at Christian Hospital who had hip replacement surgery, and he twisted his uh, foot the wrong way, and the hip became dislocated. Oh, God. Oh, God. I sat with him for two hours, and he was, you know, just raving in pain. All they wanted to give him was Tylenol. The Bible says that God dislocated his, uh, Jacob's hip and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. That limp was to remind him <laughs> that, you know, that, that you can run with a limp if you're depending on God. But we need to stop wrestling with God. When God tells you to do something, be obedient. Finally, let God handle your Esau's. Whatever that is that you've been refusing or re avoiding, being passive-aggressive about, let God, before Jacob even got to his brother and his 400, his 400 posse of men, God had already dealt with Esau's heart. That's the way God works it out. When you obey God, he's already done the work. The, the, thing, the obstacle now is you. You, you, you. you standing in the way of your blessing. Stop fighting with God. Let God handle Esau in chapter 33, verses 3 through 7. When Esau saw his brother... Jacob, he ran. He wasn't thinking about how he had stole his blessing. He wasn't thinking about how crooked he was. He wasn't thinking about how mad he'd been. He just was reminded of the fact that this is my brother. This can be fixed. This is, there's something more important than what I could have had. It's something that I can have right now. 
and God restored them. What happens when you make, uh, when you, when you make, make it right with Esau? God will change you. He gave Jacob a new name. He gave Jacob a new Do you want a new name? God will restore what the locusts have stolen and eaten. He brought them back together. He will release to you your destiny. Now Jacob became a worshiper. Now Jacob became the, the, the next person in the chain. It was Isaac, it was, it was Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. He could really walk in his birthright. Most importantly, God receives the glory. God receives the glory. Stand with me. You need to deal. Deal with the stuff that you see as it occurs. Sometimes the Lord will tell you to wait, delay, but more often than not, we're delaying because we don't want to deal. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. We're going on vacation, buy groceries, food that you're supposed to put in the refrigerator in your hustle to get gone. You ever leave meat out, meat that should be frozen out, and you're gone for a couple weeks? Now, somebody may be checking in on your house, but they don't know your house that well. After about three days, something mm, don't smell right. Maybe to the fifth day, it smells a little strong, or maybe it's a kitty litter they're thinking. Then by the time you get home two weeks later, your house smells like a corpse has died. Not only does your house smell like a corpse, but what happens when the meat goes rotten, now, you know, maggots. And then the maggots become flies. And then the other thing about rot, rotted meat is that it's infectious. You can be infected by bad meat. That's what problems are like. You smell it, it's there. You didn't put it in the refrigerator. You didn't speak on it. You didn't do anything about it. I get better. It's stinking now. A year, a couple years, now you got maggots. And you done put this thing off. You done ignored it. You done pretended. And now that thing has turned to flies. And it, it doesn't only affect you, but now it's touching your children. You got to deal with the, the, these situations that come up. And the Lord will be your help. And you will find that the Spirit of God who promises to be with you and to empower you will give you the strength to say and do exactly what is necessary. Am I right about it? Yeah. Say amen, church. Amen. amen. Let's